Welcome. I'd like to indulge your attention for a moment and a few words. I um, trust that you have all <clears throat> received something to eat and that you have found your place to stay for tonight so that uh, you'll know you'll be, you'll be safe and um, in good hands here. Uh, my name is Akinjano. I have uh, likewise just arrived and look forward to be spending this uh, short weekend with you all. Our format is a retreat format. And let me just uh, say uh, what I plan to do with you tonight briefly. I would wish, after a few initial words, to sit for half an hour and... Um, say a few words on the topic of retreat and maybe on the particular topic of on being with others since practice um, developing the heart is not just a lonely business on our meditation cushion but it is also a relational practice and I think that is crucial to understand this. So this is what I would like to address in uh, short moments of discourse in the next uh, two and a half days with you. And in between we will be doing foundations of mindfulness practice. Very straightforward, no frills, uh, early Buddhist Satipatthana practice, grounding our awareness in the body, practicing forms of breathing meditation, and um, some of it guided, some of it without guidance, with the possibility to address questions. I would like to give opportunity tomorrow to do small group interviews, and um, in between I will probably walk through the lines and uh, look at some of your meditation postures. For tonight, um, let us just begin uh, sitting. But before, I would love to know whether somebody is absolutely the first time in a meditational environment. For whom is this the first meditation occasion? The first retreat, maybe. Yes? So I take it all others are old hands at this, and seasoned and good am I audible at the back good yes um, may I suggest that you come closer to me maybe the lady can sit over here and we can put the chair there that might help Thank you. That helps me as well because I'm, I'm sometimes I'm a bit lonely up here when there's a huge hole in the middle. <laughs> Good. I trust you have all the necessary sitting contraptions. If it is a new ground for you, make sure you have a good solid meditation cushion. 
Yeah, this is a very venerable Japanese tradition to produce such cushions, and they generally like to be pummeled. Yeah, once you sit on them for a while, you pummel them a little bit, and then they gain loft again. That's the trick. Generally, they contain something like kapok, and that has a remarkable capacity for going flat and going lofty again. So, I think the crucial thing with the cushion is to understand them as wedges rather than as upholstery. Yeah, the, pla- the idea is that these things create a sort of wedge. Just for those of you who are absolutely new, yeah. if you take this as a wedge rather than as a, something to soften your seat, it is actually useful to create a wedge which helps you lifting your pelvic pelvic pelvis a little bit off the ground that helps you to get your legs onto the mat because we sit in chairs and at desks for much of the uh, days months and years in our lives we have generally shortened thigh muscles and uh, when we do sit we don't find it easy to put these thighs onto the ground Now that is very preferable to do this because it gives us a st- stable posture. The, pill, the, the meditation cushion helps to just raise the pelvis a little bit and then it becomes easier to get as much of us onto the ground as possible. That's not very esoteric, that is plain physics. You know, We distribute the weight of our bodies onto as much surface as we uh, can manage. That gives us a good stability. So please... Uh, If you're new to this, experiment with the posture and make sure by testing with the back of your hand whether the lumbar vertebrae are uh, reasonably vertical. Yeah? That is to release tension on the diaphragm. The diaphragm, which is responsible for our breathing, can make it a lot easier if it is uh, relaxed. Now, the diaphragm is attached to the spine, to one of the lumbar vertebrae, or in fact several of the lumbar vertebrae. And if these lumbar vertebrae are either curving forward like this, then it is taut. If it is slumping backwards, again, it is taut. So the optimum posture is having a back that comes above your pelvic rim in a reasonably vertical fashion and to do that without all too much effort we have these pillows or these cushions so with so much advice I would like you to uh, seek the quiet now for the next half hour and we'll be sitting still I'll be saying a few initial words and then uh, I'll let you go into the silence Please stretch your legs for a moment.
let me say a few words about our uh, undertaking. Retreats are um, a very crystalline way of putting uh, what the Buddha understood as mind development into practice. For our crazy times, it is necessary to have uh, strong interventive medicine. So uh, the complexity and the speed of our lifestyles make it necessary to have a strong counterpart. And in some way a retreat is, in all its artificiality, such a counterpart. We look for living for a few days in a very different way than we live normally. We make a commitment to listening more deeply, to being more profoundly with ourselves. And to do that, we have to adopt a particular simplicity. There's something radical about simplicity. It gives, it gives power. Everything, and I'm sure you will agree with me on that, everything that you have taken to success in your life will have needed a degree of radicalness, commitment, and also the willingness to give up things. It is very easy to understand that every yes to something only carries as much weight as we are willing to say no to protect this yes. Yeah? So any decision for something is always... Uh, implies many decisions against other possible things. So with retreats, it is very much the same. In some ways, it's a diet. If we want to look at it sort of uh, dietetically, we could say it's a kind of fast. We fast for a few days. We do a media fast. We do a reading fast. We do a talking fast. Um, we're not trying to stimulate the mind and by not doing so, we probably deviate from our everyday lifestyles. So it's, it's not easy. Because anything that deviates from our usual way of living means it goes against the habit, often goes against the grain. So I'd like to encourage you to adopt this uh, discipline of a retreat, which... Um, in, 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 in essence, will depend on your willingness and your commitment to apply yourself to this form. Two and a half days is not a lot of time, but it is enough time to make a dent. It is enough time to give us a space to create a possibility. So I would like to ask your support to actually go into this retreat and refrain from... Um, distracting your mind. The, mm, not much has changed in, 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 since the Buddha has been around on many levels. On one level, a lot has changed, and that is the level in which we are capable of uh, investing our attention to things. We have a lot more things we can distract ourselves with. Only a couple of centuries ago, to be able to provide reasonably decent distraction, you would need to have a hunting ground or a, 
a royal theatre or your own private orchestra or so. But nowadays, uh, <clears throat> the most plebeian um, society has abundant means to distract the mind's capacity to, to attend to things. So we have the dubious privilege of uh, a more distraction than probably any other society ever on this planet. Um, so please switch off your mobiles um, and uh, give yourself these two and a half days. Uh, avoid the library and apply yourself to the discipline of noble silence. That's not hostile silence, it's noble silence. And this is not uh, because talking is primarily bad thing to do or these are bad people which oughtn't to be talked to, but uh, there is probably plenty of talking going on anyway in in your own hearts and it may be well to <laughs> attend to that kind of uh, narrative in your own hearts a bit more deeply. So I don't think you will be really bored, frankly. Um, one of the ways we focus our attention outwards is obviously in social engagement, in social forms of interacting. Yeah, That's one of the things that is most spellbinding. Yeah. We can put up with quite a bit of lawnmowers and chopping and things like that if noises are concerned. But the human voice, you know, which may tell a story just outside of the window or may depict, may <clears throat> uh, speak of emotion or may speak of, you know, content, that is very, very fascinating to the mind. So one way we help each other to attend more profoundly to our own process is by not directly addressing each other for these two and a half days, by not speaking to each other, by not affirming each other as uh, projected personalities uh, with a history and preferences and disinclinations and such like. So that's not to devalue the uh, place of speech altogether. There is also, besides the practice of noble silence, there's the practice of noble speech. Um, but for the practice, a purpose of our two and a half days, let us adopt this silence. That may be going against the grain, and it may be even awkward. We're not used to be in groups silently. It may trigger off funny feelings in us. We may wish to assure our fellow meditators that we're harmless, that we don't threaten them, or we uh, may find their silence disapproving. And we may imply that their uh, stillness and their silence is actually an, a sign of their lack of sympathy for us, or we may find this is very funny. Generally, we have ways of interacting that signal all kinds of things. I'm interested, I'm not interested. I'm, you're, uh, you're nice or you're not nice. Or, uh, careful, I'm dangerous. Or, or um, careful, I'm frightened. Uh, these sort of things we do generally with very short, very uh, regular interaction and where we don't interact it may be it may be easily funny you know 
we stand in the elevator and we're all too close somehow for what we know of each other. So we can't really talk. So one group stares at the ceiling, the other group stares at the floor and we just kind of hope it passes quickly. So we have strange experiences being in groups and yet being silent. Please uh, bear with these uh, very interesting and very revealing states. If some of this comes up, I would like to ask you to consider this as simply part of the retreat. Everything that happens from now on, I would like you to consider retreat. This is part of the meditative experience. Not just what happens on your meditation cushion, but also what happens around meal times and in cleaning and in between. And this is all part of the retreat. We can look at retreats as a set of disciplinarian uh, tools we apply, but it's not very much fun to look at retreats that way. These are all useful things silence and regularity, and punctuality and schedule. Uh, refraining from, you know, playing movies on your mobile and uh, sneaking into the library. You can look at a retreat as a sort of a disciplinarian act. Another way of looking at it is it's, you give yourself a break. You'll be looked after. You don't need to worry about things. I trust that the roof won't fall onto our heads. I trust we will get be getting something to eat. I presume the water is hot and... You'll be looked after for two and a half days. You don't need to worry. You don't need to struggle. You don't need to fight. You don't need to secure anything. So we have a break from ourselves. We have a break from having to look after ourselves. And we can allow that our lives can catch up with us. That's not what we write in the program. In the program we write compassion, happiness, insight, relationship. But what's actually happening is that uh, a good deal of our lives will be catching up with us. Doing a retreat means I invite my life to catch up with me. I stop putting in new things for a moment and I see what's already there in a more spacious, in a more transparent way. That's one of the things we do in retreats. Another thing, obviously, is that we try to cultivate things. We try to cultivate qualities of attention, because it is attention that makes us understand where we, where we do not attend, where we are not curious, we are unlikely to learn. Yeah, that's very, very crucial. In the economy of attention, there is a, a very hard law, and that law states that attention and time are finite. I do not live eternally. And I do not have attention for all things. So it's crucial that we attend to the things that are important, that are relevant, that are uh, deep in our lives, that carry weight. There's nothing immoral about distraction. It's just it doesn't make us free. That's its problem. And distraction is something which takes time away and it takes attention away from the things that are crucial to our lives and to our happiness, to our freedom. So we dedicate these two and a half days to becoming essential, to doing things that help us be more clear, more free, more happy, uh, and maybe more caring and loving. 
I may look a selfish thing to do sitting here and kind of pondering the nature of the universe and staring at your own navel for two and a half days. It doesn't seem very relational, not talking on top of it. Uh, but uh, please trust me in this. If you do not know this for yourself, please trust me simply that any human being that tries to deepen his or her relationship to herself that tries to aspire to greater clarity and a deeper connection to what is essential in his or her life will deepen the context in which he or she lives. Any attempt to gain clarity and freedom and happiness for yourself will deepen the inquiry of the people in your context in terms of clarity, of freedom and of happiness. Yeah? You sensitize the context in which you live through your own efforts. Yeah? Every human being that aims for a prof more profound consciousness will um, help others doing the same, even if they don't know it. In fact, even if they don't want it. Yeah? It's infectious. So, think, if you uh, wish to join me in this, think of this two and a half days as, in a, as an effort to find out in great curiosity and great care and gentleness what is important in our lives, what is helping us, what is, by inference, helping others, what is not helping us and what is our entanglement you see if we create problems for ourselves we can also stop creating problems or we could at least diminish so that's that's where the freedom comes in uh, we can choose every human being practicing uh, at attention practicing cultivated awareness can make choices these choices are going to have consequences. They affect uh, our immediate experience, but also they affect the development of tendencies and habits or the dissolution of tendencies and habits in ourselves. So this is a powerful step. Meditation is a powerful and radical departure from habitual ways of um, um, applying awareness. Usually... Our awareness goes to the thing that promises most gratification. That's the untrained mind's tendency. Wherever something is going, my attention goes. Yeah? Where my attention goes, my energy goes. Um, the meditative mind tries something different. It tries to give attention not necessarily to the biggest thing going, but it tries to give attention to a chosen object or a chosen domain of attention. There is an attention of things and there is an attention of, let's call it, field. Yeah. Now, mindfulness training is fascinating because everybody's got mindfulness. We don't need to invent it. It's here already. It takes place in our mind. You wouldn't be here if it wouldn't happen in your mind. 
whatever you may think of yourself, that which you're in search of is already taking place. But it can be cultivated. The dramatic thing about mindfulness or about awareness or attention, these are all synonyms for myself, and I will tell you more about where it comes from later. The dramatic thing about this is not that it happens. The dramatic thing is if it happens continually, if we manage to extend it. Yeah? Extend it both temporally in scope, yeah, so that it, we can stay with things longer. That's one way of developing mindfulness. And the other thing is that we can widen the range in which mindfulness or attention can occur. When we manage to do these things, dramatic things start happening in our life. The smartest way to stay ignorant, according to the Buddha's teaching, is to have superficial attention. Ignorance always hurts. It's not bliss. Contrary to popular, uh, to the popular fallacy, ignorance hurts. And one of the smartest ways to stay ignorant is to attend improperly to what's happening. So we get a sort of fragmented take on reality. And through that fragmentation of our take on reality, we come to some really fabulous wrong conclusions about where we are and how, how we are and who we are and such like. So mindfulness practice is radical insofar as it says, I'm not necessarily letting my attention go to the thing that screams loudest, but I'm actually choosing something and I'm trying to make a profound inquiry into that thing by staying with it. Not just as long as it's fun, not just as long as I feel it's promising me something or it's gratifying, but I'm going to stay with this whole story. I'm going to see this through. That's the dramatic thing. And to do that voluntarily uh, is, is a powerful statement. Now, some of this is very agreeable and easy, and some of it is not. You see, in, in attention is an intentional activity. It's not just letting go. If you just sit here and the first thought pops up and you let go, you will be going with that thought. Staying present in the here and now is an intentional activity because there is a strong drift yeah, in our minds to move, to move away, to move with things, to associate, to follow, to run. Yeah? We all know it. Looking at your own mind for five minutes will tell you what the general gist is. The general drift is uh, entropy, it's, it's complexity, it's associative, sometimes explosively so, uh, running, roaming, straying, this movement. And to stem that and choose one simple thing like a sensation of breath and staying with that cessation while it changes and forsaking all the other possibilities we could do with the mind, this is an intentional activity that is not always easy. Sometimes it is very blissful when the mind is calm and quiet and sometimes it's a, it's a white word to ride. You know? It seems hard and it takes stamina and dedication. So please be prepared for both. If you sit, both of, both of them will happen. 
I know nobody for whom it's just really unmitigated happiness. And I also know nobody for whom it is just unmitigated failure and suffering and misery. So um, life is a mixture of things. Love is a mixture of things. Meditation makes no difference. Whether you wear a robe or whether you wear non-monastic gear, this is the same. Life is going to be a mixture. So please help yourself by clarifying in your heart that you are going to dedicate your energies, your time, your attention, your will, your vital energies to this practice of more deeply connecting with what's happening for you. Be aware that this is a collective experience. I have been on many retreats many years and I have been teaching many retreats. All of these retreats have become very collective experiences for me. I come here with my story and my take on things and you know, obviously I have some ideas what I'm doing. Uh, but sooner or later you will find yourself with other people and something happens. You know, we create an ambience, we create a group effort, we create an atmosphere in which we all share responsibility and from which we all benefit. This is precious. So please uh, understand that the act of looking after the outer format of the retreat and of bringing your good intention into this practice also helps others. So it's a collective Human beings can do an awful lot to help each other. Once they have accepted they are responsible and that some things they can only do for themselves, they can actually help each other a tremendous amount. So that's where the relational bit comes in. One way we can help each other very much is by more deeply understanding ourselves. see. The quality of our attention is one of the most precious gifts we can give to each other. Uh, definement, uh, the, uh, the, the refinement and the attunement of our attention is one of the most precious gifts. If I am not understanding myself very well, what's happening in my heart, what's happening in my body, what's happening in my mind, then I am unlikely to understand other people better. I'm unlikely to understand other people's emotions if I don't understand my own. So uh, be aware that you're not doing this only for yourself. And be aware how precious this is. So please support each other by uh, letting the others do their work. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.